of the world is within you. Sacred and worthy is your soul. A place has been made for you. Welcome to the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may also visit us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. This week's selections are taken from First Unitarian's online service held Sunday, November 15th, 2020. The title is More Than Enough. The homily is by Reverend Mike Moran. There once was a very rich and wealthy king. He was rich because he had a lot of money in the form of gold. His large amount of gold had purchased a large house where he lived with his family, plenty of delicious food for everyone to eat, warm and comfortable clothing that was very fashionable, green gardens full of plants and places to enjoy nature, and people who worked for him. And he still had more gold left over. He had gold decorations in his house and golden coins he could use to purchase anything he needed or wanted. Of all the things in his life, his most favorite was his beautiful, golden-haired daughter, and he wanted to make sure that she had everything she wanted. He was not a very good king. He wasn't very fair. He made a lot of dangerous mistakes and was easily distracted and didn't always think of others when he made decisions. He bragged a lot about what he had, and he insulted people around him with rude comments. Sometimes he worried that he might not have enough gold. One day, he was walking in his beautiful garden, thinking about ways to get more gold, and he found a magical creature. He knew that this creature belonged to a powerful Greek god named Dionysus. So he took care of the creature and returned it to the god. Dionysus was grateful, and as a reward, he offered to grant the king one wish. The king wished for more gold, and he was given the golden touch, which meant that anything he touched with his hands or his body would turn into gold. The king was thrilled. He thought, more gold! He felt like all his worries had magically disappeared, and he headed back to his house to test out his new power. On the way, he touched a branch on a tree by his front door, and it immediately turned to gold. The king giggled with glee. Inside of his castle, the king walked through the main hallway, touching furniture and watching it immediately turn to gold. He reached down to scratch the family cat and didn't notice that it stopped mid-meow because it had turned into a golden cat statue in the middle of the floor. Excited, the king headed toward the banquet hall, where there were always tables of snacks and food for him to eat any time he liked. He touched a bowl on the table, and it turned from wood to gold, and he sighed with relief and pride. After such an exciting morning, he needed something to eat, so he picked up some grapes and tossed one into his mouth. Almost immediately, his tooth cracked because the grape had turned to gold with his touch. The king reached for another grape, but they had all turned to gold. In great pain, and with a small amount of concern for how he might eat given his new power, he ran to his bedroom and flung himself onto his big soft bed for comfort as he considered the problem with his food. Clang! His body slammed into a solid gold bed which felt very cold and hard 
and not comforting at all. In pain and frustration, the king cried out with a sob. His daughter heard his cries and entered his bedroom. She didn't notice the golden bed, but went straight to her father to comfort him. When she placed her hand on his back, he looked up and in horror saw that his favorite daughter was now a statue of gold. The king was terrified, and as his family came to check on the commotion, he ran away from them and back into the garden. The king called out to the god Dionysus, who had granted him the power of the golden touch. Dionysus appeared, ready to celebrate the king's multiplied wealth with a glass of wine and a toast. But the king fearfully declined the glass of wine and instead begged for Dionysus to take back the power of the golden touch. Dionysus took pity on the scared king and told him to go wash his hands in a nearby river. When the king plunged his hands into the river, the golden touch drained from his fingertips and the surface of the river seemed to glitter like gold when the sun reflected off the surface. The king then raced home, no longer worried about his amount of gold, but wondering if his daughter was okay. As he entered the house, he didn't notice that a cat sat by the door, crankily waving its tail back and forth, the way some adults wag their finger when a child has done something wrong. The king's daughter greeted him in the hallway, where no gold was in sight, and he hesitated a moment before reaching out to give her a hug. As she hugged him back, he felt grateful for the warmth of her touch and the sound of her voice, for these were more valuable than any amount of gold. Then the king ate some sweet grapes and took a nap on his soft bed, rid of any worries about gold and grateful for the comforts that he had, for the kind forgiveness of the gods and the knowledge that there are some things far more precious than gold. I wonder, what are you grateful for? I wonder, what is more precious than gold in your life? I wonder if you know the difference between what you need and what you want. As we approach the season of gift giving, I wonder what gifts you already have and how you share your gifts with the people around you. May each of us learn the value of the gifts that we already have. May you be healthy and well. We send you so much love this week. Good morning, First Unitarian. A few joys and concerns of our larger community I want to hold up at this time. I want to wish Michael Carr a happy birthday. Michael turned, well, I'll leave that to him to share if he wants to. Uh, but Michael had a birthday this past week. I want to hold up Carol Hunter, the spouse of John Colvin, who had surgery this past week. She is now home and she is resting. I want to uh, celebrate that Aaron Kenworthy's parents, I think this was mentioned last week, but Aaron Kenworthy's parents are both out of the hospital and they are home and lying low for the time being. I want to mention that Bess Pelissier is also out of the hospital, out of, out of rehab that is, and she is happily back home and doing very well right now. I want to let you know that um, First Unitarian continues to be extraordinarily generous, even in these strange times of social isolation and online everything. 
through our Giving in Action program right here on Sunday mornings, you, as a community, have given almost $8,000 to local nonprofits, and I mean just since this past July. I think that's pretty extraordinary, uh, pretty amazing. So thank you, First Unitarian Denver, for continuing to be the most faithful congregation I have ever been a part of. In fact, the most faithful congregation that I know of. Our prayer today is this. We who gather in these perilous times, we are not spectators. We are not passers-by. We are not onlookers looking in from some outside place. So remember that the love that will sustain us and everything we value is part of a larger love that moves through all of creation, moves through everything, and it moves through you. This love is a gift, and it is freely given, and it is yours. You can recognize this love and its presence in your body and in your mind and heart and soul by some very simple things. You can recognize this love when it moves through you, when you share your soul with another person. By the deep longing you feel to create balance and peace in your life and in the lives of others. By a sense of gratitude that you cannot explain. By the satisfaction to be found in doing good for somebody, somewhere, by expressing this great love. Tap into this love. Use this love. Own this love. Use this love to speak the truth. Use this love to call evil by its name. To speak of comfort to the suffering and to speak of rest to the overworked. Use this love to support, uplift, and strengthen and honor the good and the noble in this world. Use this love as a guide to embrace and to call forth the beloved community among human beings and among the, the lives we share this planet with. With such a gift as this love, we can do no less. Amen. All right, First Unitarian. So for several years now, we have been trying to get real about racism that is built deeply into the fabric and structure of America. And I think as a community, we've done pretty well in our learning about that, in our growing general awareness of racism and how it is built into the fabric and the structure of our country, our culture, our language, our world. This morning, I wanna talk about another closely related an equally devastating aspect of American culture, although I really hope this is not going to be a devastating sermon in any way, shape, or form. I want to talk about the kind of greed that leads to the kind of income inequality that we have been witnessing the acceleration of, the acceleration to the point of absurdity now here in this country for about the last 50 to 60 years. I have learned... Um, 
as I've thought about this and looked around at this, that if you do an internet search on the psychology of greed, you'll find that unlike other characteristics uh, like memory and grief and love or political preferences, greed has not been studied extensively. There's not a lot of data or science behind it. And what that means is that the many articles that you come across as you research the psychology of greed uh, means that you find the same studies that have been done, you find them referenced over and over and over again. One of them gets referenced often was an experiment done at the University of California. There's a TED talk about this by Professor Paul Piff. What they did is they brought random people in in pairs and sat them down for a game of Monopoly. But they rigged the game. One player starts out with twice as much money as the other player, and that player also gets the customary two dice to roll, whereas the other player only gets one dice to roll. The player with two dice and all the extra money gets to collect twice as much money when they pass go every time as the other player does. And they've, they've rigged this room with cameras, and as the game proceeds, the researchers watch the facial expressions and the body language and how the relationships in the room begin to change. And what they saw is that the player with all the advantages, after a very short time of being mildly apologetic, becomes increasingly aggressive becomes increasingly rude and dismissive, even in very subtle ways. Their body language becomes more dominant, more forceful. They even move their pieces around the board with noticeably more force as they buy up everything in sight and collect rent from their much poorer compatriots. It gets worse. When the participants are asked later about their experiences playing this rigged game, the player who had all the advantages doesn't tend to talk about all the advantages they had, um, even after they caught on that that's what was happening. They talk about how strategic they were and how they made good decisions and how the other players just weren't that much fun to be around. Another study um, had pedestrians near a busy intersection start crossing the street when cars were coming. And the results of that study were unequivocal. Turns out that the most expensive cars were the same cars that were least likely to stop or even slow down for the pedestrian. Turns out the least expensive cars were the most likely to be aware of the pedestrian and even to smile and wave at the pedestrian as the pedestrian crossed the street. Other studies have shown, again, the data is pretty unequivocal, that the wealthier a person is, the more, or the more, and the more uh, successful they have been, for instance, in the business world or such, the more likely they are to cheat, even when they don't need to. And it's a well-known fact that although wealthy people do give to charities, they give far less than poor and working people do as a percentage of their income and wealth, typically less than 1%. There are many exceptions, of course, uh, but the overall data is absolutely clear. Some of this is cultural here in the United States, and some of it's political. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that our system of democracy here in the United States is enmeshed with our system of capitalism. Uh, 
And our system of capitalism is ruthless, steeped in the values of individual achievement and greed, far away and above and beyond any considerations of community or the common good. And these cultural values, they run deep. If you need an example, just look at who just received the second most votes of anyone in history to be president of the United States, a man who most everyone recognizes as shallow and dishonest, who was impeached for putting his own interests above that of the country and who, who, that he swore to serve, and openly brags about gaming the system so he doesn't have to pay taxes. And this country, almost half of it, still voted for him. These things run deep in our culture. One other thing you'll find if you research the psychology of greed is that there's uh, quite a few psychologists who think of greed as a form of addiction and or obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I'm guessing that the psychologists who think that are not themselves wealthy. Religion, on the other hand, is quite clear that greed is not good. Jesus, Buddhism, the Quran, Shintoism, Taoism, Judaism, all traditional religions, as far as I know, warn against greed. Jesus says, and I quote, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Apostle Paul is unequivocal in the book of Timothy, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not sure I totally agree with that, but Apostle Paul was quite clear. Buddhism, likewise, absolutely clear that the path to enlightenment comes from letting go of the pain that attachments cause the human spirit. But to get where I'm going, I'm going to share one of my favorite Taoist teaching stories. One day, a thief came to a well-known teacher, and asked, would you take me as a student? But one thing I have to be clear about, I'm a thief, and I cannot leave being a thief, so please don't make that a condition. I'll do whatever you say. I'll do whatever meditation, whatever disciplines you say. I just can't stop being a thief. I just need to be clear about that with you. The teacher said, ah, who's going to ask you about being a thief? The thief said, but, but, but whenever I approach a teacher about being a student, they tell me I have to stop stealing. The teacher laughed. Ah, you must have gone to thieves then. Otherwise, why would they be concerned? I'm not concerned. The thief was very happy. He said, oh, you are the, you are the teacher for me. The teacher accepted him and said, gave him some initial instruction and said, now, go. And do whatever you like, only one condition. You must be aware. You must practice awareness. Go on. Go break into houses, take things, do whatever you like. That's of no concern to me. Just do it with full awareness. The thief did not understand he was falling into a trap. He came back after three weeks and he said, Oh, you are a tricky teacher because if I become aware, I cannot steal. And if I steal, awareness disappears. Teacher said, no more talk about being a thief. Stealing, you decide. You want awareness, you decide. 
You don't want awareness? Again, you decide. Students say, oh, but, but it's, you've made it difficult now. I have tasted awareness, and it is so beautiful. Just the other night, for the first time, I was able to enter the palace of the king. I opened the treasure. I could have been the richest man in the world, but your words were in my head, and I had to be aware. And when I became aware, the diamonds just looked like ordinary stones. And when I lost awareness, such riches. I did this many times back and forth. I would become aware, and I could not even touch it because the whole thing looked so foolish, just stupid stones. What am I doing? And then I would lose awareness, and they would become beautiful again. The whole illusion, intoxicating. But I finally decided they just weren't worth it. What is this awareness that lets the thief see past the greed? What is it exactly that our current president and many of his supporters and the 10% of the population that own 90% of the wealth in America and the, apparently the monopoly players, what is it that they do not seem to have? What is that awareness that they seem to lack? I should probably warn you right now, I'm going to drop what I believe is a significant spiritual truth. I believe the awareness that we're speaking of is our inherent interdependence and connection with each other and with all that is. What I like to call or to each other, to all that is, and to God, to the mystery at the heart of the universe. What I like to call the unity that makes us one. Awareness of the transitory nature of all physical things, including our individual fortunes. Awareness of a wonderful, blessed truth that everyone, everyone is a child of the universe. And we're all in this together, including the non-human life that we share this planet with. This deep knowing will change your life, will change your life forever. And to the extent we can capture that awareness and keep it present, I believe we will be wholly and joyfully generous with all that we are and all that we have because this awareness just simply won't let us do otherwise. Mother Teresa wrote, we cannot do great things on this earth, only small things with great love. Now, the corollary to this, of course, is that to the extent that any one of us or we as a community or a country are unaware or oblivious or in denial about this beautiful, life-giving, mysterious, interconnected unity, that's the extent to which we will also be susceptible to greed and a merely self-serving life. And all of this is just one of the reasons why this community affirms at the close of every Sunday worship that behind all our differences and beneath all our diversity, there is a unity that makes us one and binds us forever together in spite of time and death and the space between the stars. That unity is more than enough. Amen.
Our benediction today was written by my colleague, Reverend Gretchen Haley. There is no other day, there is no other hour, no other people, no other life. Everything we need is here. All the pieces, the possibilities, the ideas, and the partners. No saints or heroes required, no perfect plans or clear instructions. Only the will, the willingness to laugh, the willing heart, the heart filled with wonder. Only the stumbling, the forgiving, the showing up, sometimes just the showing up. These ingredients for joy, for healing, for change, they are all here. And here is enough. And we are enough for praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. See you next week.